Well, hi, everybody. I'm Mike. Uh, I've been gone for a couple weeks, and if you don't know who I am, hi. <laughs> Just came off a med retreat, which was terrific, honestly. Uh, we had about 22 guys up at uh, Bear Trap Ranch, and all i got to say is, um, if you miss it this year, please uh, try and make it next year. It was a great deal and a great time, and... Yeah, I was just really proud of uh, everybody who went, and the speaker is an old friend of mine, so it was great. During the men's retreat, the speaker was actually sharing lots of parts about his life, a guy I've known since he was in college, and he told us this one story about when everything in his life just fell apart. I mean, he had been promised a job. He had quit the job that he had, which is a pretty good job with the university uh, in enrollment, and he had uh, his house up for sale uh, due to turn the keys over uh, to the new owners, and he had a moving van all uh, set to come the the next day. I, I remember talking to him at this point because he had his garage filled with boxes from stuff he had been packing up. They were going to go to the Great Northwest, and he was going to go to graduate school up at um, uh, Mars Hill with um, Dan Allender, and that graduate school up there for counseling. And so had everything set, and he's literally on his way home when the realtor calls and says, uh, the deals fall through. It's fallen through because the guy who's buying your house uh, has been lying about his background and his life and his financial situation. And um, then the people who had promised him the job uh, called and said, sorry, we're, we're going in a different direction. And He's going home literally jobless with three kids and all of his hopes and dreams dashed. He was really upset that day. It was a very, very bad day. I remember talking to him during that particular time in his life, trying to figure out, like, God, what are you doing in my life? Maybe you've had moments like that when your whole world is beginning just to implode Things that were promised don't come through, and your expectations are not only being dashed to the ground, but it looks like the Lord is grinding those dreams under the heel of his boot. How do you, how do you react to that? I mean, I know that I've had those kinds of times in my life, and, 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 and I don't pretend to understand why God allows those kinds of things to happen. We, you know, that could be a whole sermon series. But we're talking about the last week of Jesus' life. For many weeks now, we've been in Jesus' trek to the cross. And last week, Fran Blomberg gave an excellent message about Jesus dying. And, and just 
picture you as one of his followers at that particular point. I mean, even if you weren't a military kind of person, you had all sorts of hopes about how life was going to be. And all of a sudden, it's all over. Everything that you thought was going to happen is just crumbled. And so, today, we're talking about that space after everything falls apart. If you've ever been in those places, in some ways that's the hardest place because when things are falling apart, you're in shock. You don't know how to respond. You're playing all these tricks. You're, you're, you're making deals with God. But then finally when it's over, and you know it's over, that's a really, really difficult place to be. And so we're going to go through that part in the life of the people who are following Jesus, because Jesus is dead. He is dead. Hanging on a cross, dead. No more life, dead. No more words from him, dead. No more miracles, dead. So if you have a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 40. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Now, Fran talked about this a bit last week, but I'm going to start with it this week because the women are taking over the gospel narrative at this point. They've kind of been just below the surface of the story. You know, Jesus' interaction with women, you know, and they would kind of pop up every now and then. And now the women are are doing this number in terms of their spiritual integrity. Mary Magdalene. We've heard of her before. She's the one out of whom Jesus had cast seven demons. can't imagine what kind of torment her life had been in with seven demons. But Jesus had set her free. And now the one who set her free was hanging dead on a cross. Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph. Now, we're not sure who this Mary is. We obviously get the idea that People must have known her sons. (laughs) They must have been known to the early church. And there were several Jameses, it seems. And this one was the younger, or the lesser, depending on how you translate that. And then Salome. And Salome, we believe, was the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. So these are the three women who at least are named by by Mark. 
And it says that, that they had been following Jesus and had cared for his needs in Galilee. So this is super odd for the time. You did not have women following a rabbi or a teacher like that. You just didn't, especially married women. It was unheard of. But Jesus obviously had allowed it, which raises the profile of women substantially in that era. It would have been considered scandalous. But Jesus obviously had no problem with it because they'd been with him in Galilee and they had cared for his needs. He allowed them to be his patrons. And then it says many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. So these are the only ones who were named, but there's plenty of others. Jesus was a friend to women. And as we'll see, women were a friend to Jesus in ways that men never were. Verse 42, was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. You guys know what happens on the Sabbath, right? The Sabbath is the day of rest. You can't do anything on the Sabbath if you're Jewish. You can't work. So the preparation day means you're getting everything ready so that you can rest on the Sabbath. This is a problem if you got a friend of yours hanging on a cross because you don't want to leave him on that cross. You don't want the birds to come and start picking away at him. And there's all sorts of just religious connotations about the kind of person who is left unburied. And you do not want that shame heaped upon this great teacher. So something has got to be done. Normally it would have been the family of Jesus who would come and take his body off of the cross, but we don't know where his family is. I mean, Mary, his mother was there. Maybe she was overcome with grief. Maybe she couldn't get to the proper authorities to ask for Jesus' body. Maybe his brothers and sisters were not in Jerusalem for the Passover. I don't know. But what normally would happen has not happened. And what God does is fulfill a prophecy. Isaiah 53, verse 9, talking about the suffering servant. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. And so, who comes to the rescue but a rich man? So, as evening approached... Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, remember the centurion from last week? Fran talked about him. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. 
Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. And so Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the council that had condemned Jesus to death, probably not one of the ones who voted for his execution. Waiting for the kingdom of God, a righteous man, boldly goes to Pilate, the governor. Now, to make yourself known as a Christ follower at this particular time is very, very dangerous because all of your friends, all of your Jewish rabbi, Pharisee, council buddies, Sadducee buddies, have just called this guy a threat to the nation. And you align yourself with him, and guess who is seen as a threat? You are. But Joseph wants to make sure that Jesus' body is not treated with ignominy. And so he goes and he asks Pilate, the guy who had ordered his execution for the body, and he takes it down and places it in his own tomb. You've got to be fairly wealthy to have a tomb cut out of rock. And this is what they would normally do. So they would take the body down, they would put it, you know, wrap it up, put spices on it, that kind of thing. They would put it inside of this tomb, roll the stone in front of it, because you wouldn't want animals getting in and tearing up the body, or robbers going in and taking the body. And you would let it decay for about a year. In the hot Palestinian climate, it would decompose fairly rapidly. And then when a year went by, you would take the bones that were left and you would place them wherever you would want to place them. Maybe there was a, a family burial place. Who knows? Maybe Jesus' family had some place in Nazareth. I don't know. But that's normally what would have you take those bones and you would lay them there. So Joseph of Arimathea is doing a very brave thing, but he's kind of just putting a period on the end of the sentence of Jesus' life story. Okay. It's over. Roll the stone in front of the opening of the cave like a big giant period on the end of Jesus' life story. Go on with your life. What else are you going to do? Except for the women are watching this happen. And then it says in verse 1 of chapter 16, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spi bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. These, these ladies are like, can you say they're New Testament studs? Can you say that? I, I can't imagine the guts that it takes. I mean, just to go into a tomb after a few days. Now, in other Gospels, we find out that they had put spices on Jesus' body, which is a honor they bestowed upon him when they wrapped him in the linen. 
And so it wouldn't smell so bad. And, you know, it hadn't been that long, and it was April probably, and it wasn't so hot that maybe the body wouldn't stink so bad. But it didn't need to be done again. It had already been done, uh, maybe not according to every little custom, but the women are going to, you know, wash the body and anoint it. I mean, they're, they're paying their respects. They're saying, look, it, you know, it's not over for us yet. We're going to linger here for a while. We love this man. He was our Lord, our Master, our Teacher. You just got to respect that. Now, everybody's world has fallen apart, and I see three different reactions to their worlds falling apart. And the first reaction of the first group of people isn't even really in the text. It's noticeable because it's absent. And that is, where the hell are Jesus' best friends? The disciples. They're gone. This is the first way you can respond when your world implodes, you cut and run. You cut and run. The second way that you can respond when your world falls apart is doing what Joseph Arimathea did, which is literally, and Craig, I knew you were going to love this, you wrap it up. Just wrap it up. Sometimes your life falls apart and you do the diligence. I mean, you you finagle your way in the best possible manner. You don't just cut and run. You actually face it. You deal with it even though your world is over. You take care of things, even though it's done. And then the third way, it seems, that you can respond when your world falls apart is that you can do what the ladies did here, and you can kind of wait and see. They're watching. They're waiting. Where they put him? We're not quite done yet. We're going we're to go back. We're going to see what God does. Who knows what they were thinking? Because Jesus was fairly direct about being killed and then rising again. Now, maybe they didn't understand what he meant by that, but, I mean, the guy was saying it over and over and over again, and maybe because they had a clue, they thought, well, let's just hang around a little bit and see if God does something. I wouldn't put it past them. They knew he was dead. There's no doubt about that. They're coming you know, with spices to wash and anoint the body. But the fact that they hadn't quite given up yet puts all the men in this passage to shame. Three ways to deal when your world falls apart. Cut and run. Wrap it up. Wait and see.
This is where I go from preaching to meddling. Um, I've watched some of your lives fall apart. You've heard about when my life fell apart. And I've watched people cut and run. When all the romantic feelings in the marriage have fled. Cut and run. Find solace in the arms of somebody else. This is not very pretty. I mean, there really is no or little chance that things can get revived when one or both of the parties have cut and run. When somebody else is involved, when there's a third party to whom the heart has been given. You know, I've seen sometimes when in a church situation, when someone is, is in one of those difficult places of growth, you know, and, and you as a pastor or you as a small group leader or, or you as a, a spiritual friend are, are trying to encourage them to do the hard thing. You need to forgive that person or you need to go and ask forgiveness of that person or you... Fill in the blank. And they cut and run. They just leave. I'm not doing that. Sorry. Out of here. Gone. And, and as, as, a, as a shepherd, you're grieving the loss of what might have been in that person's life. If only you hadn't just left the difficult situation. It happens in jobs all the time, especially among people who have the kind of jobs that are common at scum of the earth because you're used to doing, you know, the low end of the totem pole jobs. And sometimes you just get so pissed off at your boss, you just say, I quit, and then you leave, and then we have no idea how the rent's going to get paid. We have no idea how you're going to have medical care. We have no idea how you're going to put gas in your car. And, and the rest of us uh, who love you have to do some kind of emergency triage for your life that's hemorrhaging because you just cut and run. The disciples cut and run. Were they beyond the forgiveness of Christ? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But I don't think it was the best option at that particular time, especially when Jesus begged them to be with him. Could you not wait with me one hour? Jesus said to his disciples in the garden. So, so don't get me wrong. It's not like this is beyond 
the forgiveness of Christ, obviously he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing from the cross. I know some people who have struggled with God. My friend Dave, who spoke at the retreat this week and recounted that story, and one of the things that was before him was to cut and run from his heavenly Father. You have screwed me for the last time. I am out of here. I am not serving you anymore. You are some kind of a mean God who likes watching me squirm. As C.S. Lewis said, after the death of his wife, Joy, he thought of God as some laboratory vivisectionist. Somebody who cuts open animals while they're still alive to see how they work. The temptation to cut and run is extremely strong. Some of God's greatest heroes have done it. The Apostle Peter being the most recent one in our study of the last week of Christ. But it's not beyond being forgiven. Second thing you can do, wrap it up. Wrap it up. I really appreciate people who have the courage to wrap it up. If you're leaving the church for whatever reason, feel free to come and talk to me and say, Mike, I just don't feel like scum's my home anymore. I'd rather have you do that than a month go by wondering, I wonder where so-and-so is. Like, just wrap it up, you know? Hey, I'm graduating from scum. God's got me going someplace else. I don't care what you say to me. Like, you know, you can even say, like, I'm just not being fed here anymore. Every, every, every pastor I know knows that's a crock, but it's okay. I would prefer that to cutting and running. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I have the utmost respect for my friends who have gone through a very, very difficult marriage and instead of cutting and running have agreed to divide up the property, to say goodbye to family, friends, to sit the kids down. To, I mean, it, that's better. You know what I'm saying? It's better. Wrap it up. At least wrap it up. Put a period on the end of that story. I mean, your employer appreciates two weeks' notice. He or she really does. They've got a business to run. And um, as far as your church goes, we would appreciate you finding another job before you quit the one you have. <laughs> it's like, you know, we would like to be able to give the people who are, like, in emergency need, and we would like to have you help contribute toward that emergency need. It's better to wrap it up than to cut and run. And then the third option, this wait and see option, is 
you know, obviously the best. I mean, give God a chance. Might He do something at 11.59, at 12 a.m., 1201, 1210, 1230. Honestly, people talk about the 1159 God comes right in the nick of time. In my life, he's been like the 1230 God. You know, I'm just still hanging around And I get to see marvelous things. I mean, there wouldn't be a scum of the earth church if Mary and I had not waited and watched to see what God might do after I no longer had a job. It took some time. I went on a retreat, private retreat, and sought the face of God, talked to friends, talked to the folks, you know, from the Five Iron Frenzy Bible study who eventually became the core of Scum of the Earth Church. I mean, um, I was dead in the water for some time. I'm not saying that to... Well, I'm saying that because follow my example. You wouldn't be here if it weren't for that. I wouldn't be married if it weren't for that. But Jesus is still dead. He's not on the cross anymore, but he's in the tomb. Life is over as we knew it. Before you say goodbye to the Lord. Wait around just a little longer. And this is the weird thing. Your life had to fall apart. It had to fall apart. Jesus had to die. It had to all come to an end. The fairy tale had to end badly. Otherwise, there would be no resurrection. God does something in that space just after your life falls apart and before the resurrection. It's the crucible. It's where, you know, He's... Grinding you. Grinding your heart into fine dust so that He can reform it into a better heart. That space right after everything falls apart is where He accomplishes his greatest work. It's that space in your life of which you will say later, 
I would not trade it for a million dollars, but I wouldn't give you a nickel for any more of it. Is that space right there? Your life has to fall apart. If your life doesn't fall apart, then this is going to sound weird. God doesn't love you because he disciplines those he loves like a loving parent disciplines his or her child. trying to think of a time in my life where I had to say no to my child. But maybe you can fill that story in your own life. And where later, even though you desperately wanted whatever it is your mom or dad said you couldn't have and it didn't happen, down the road you were glad that it didn't happen? and you actually are afraid of what your life would look like if it, you had gotten what you wanted to get? You know what I'm talking about? I had this great idea, and then I didn't follow through. I was going to bring a bunch of envelopes from the office. and a bunch of paper. And I was going to ask you to, to write down on the paper the struggle that you were going through at the moment, the, the, the thing that where your life has fallen apart. I was going to ask you to, to write, write it down. And when you got done writing down this terrible situation in your life. I was going to ask you to put in three boxes, three check boxes, cut and run, another check box, wrap it up, another check box, wait and see. And once you did that, I was going to ask you to check the wait and see button. Put it in the envelope, have you address it to yourself, we would collect them all and then send them to you in about three months. And then I forgot to go get the envelopes and the uh, paper. So uh, I'll tell you what I'll do. During the last music set, I will run down to the office and I will grab said envelopes and paper and I will come back here and right before we close, we'll pass them out, okay? And then you can write whatever you, you know, situation you want to write and, and check the wait and see, and then, you know, we'll send it back to you and we'll wait and see what happens in three months. It's really clever. I just hope it's... <laughs> I just hope it's effective. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm praying to God that he comes through. Like, please, please, Jesus, come through. Please, Jesus, come through. But no matter what you've done, no matter if you've cut and run a hundred times in your life, no matter if you've wrapped it up more than you'd like to admit, no matter if you're still waiting and seeing and you're going to be waiting and seeing for years and years and years, no matter what, 
This much I know. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And the women are our models in how to relate to that. I'm going to pray. So if you would pray with me, that would be great. Lord God, Father in heaven, um, you know the stories of our lives. You know that we're all struggling on some level. That if our lives haven't recently fallen apart, they're in the process of falling apart. And we know that if we're in neither one of those places, it's probably on its way at some point. Um, it's just life. So, Father God, give us the courage that the women had waiting and seeing what, what Jesus would do. Give us that kind of courage, Lord. But in any case, thank you. Thank you for sending your son to die for us, no matter what we've done or how we've reacted. That you come back for us and you call us your own and you claim us no matter if we've cut and run, wrapped it up too soon, if we're still waiting. I want to thank you. Thank you for being our Savior. In Christ's name, amen.